for the Todd Leonard Show. Leave those negative stories behind as we focus on the positive and hear from those who give back and help others. Let's start your day with some inspirational stories. Now, here's your host, Todd Leonard. Good morning, everyone. We have an incredible show today. You know, each week I'm just so privileged to have incredible people on. In the last four weeks, we've been really featuring folks as I thank you to those heroes. And guess what? We got one of those heroes today. Amy Pierce, right from Augusta, New Jersey, is going to be joining us. And I just feel so honored. You know, this month is Nurses Month. And what's a better time just to say thank you so much to all the incredible frontline heroes. Uh, Amy, are you with us this morning? Yes, I am. Good morning, Good morning. And, you know, today's a bit of an experiment. We're going Facebook Live on the Todd Leonard Show as well. So uh, bear with us uh, for those tuning in right now. So, Amy, first of all, I ask everyone, you know, uh, how, how are you holding up? I, I know, first of all, congratulations on an order. I know you're blessed with another beautiful daughter. So how are you guys doing? Uh, we are actually, I feel like, now doing very well. The last month has been a little shaky for us um, from... Uh, the delivery of the baby and my middle daughter getting sick, but now my whole family is under one roof, and it seems like everyone's doing pretty well. <laughs> Well, just once again, I appreciate so much you coming in. I can't think of a better person to bring on right now. You know, I tell all my friends, my family, God bless the, the frontline heroes. I mean, and one of the silver linings of what we're all going through with COVID-19 is we're all finally getting a chance to say thank you to the nurses, the incredible doctors, the incredible hospital staff in the area. I always uh, felt, and, and what's a better time now to just say the nurses are angels. And what you guys are doing is just truly incredible. So, you know, God bless you. So I wanted to, you know, everybody I bring on, I always like to ask a little bit about their background. And I understand nursing wasn't really your first career. You, you had done something first. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself for all the listeners? Sure, sure. When I first um, decided to, uh, I guess, pursue my career, I worked actually for WDHA and WMGR radio stations in the marketing and sales aspect. Um, I had gone to school for that at Centenary College and uh, worked there for about five years when I decided that this wasn't really for me. Um, nothing was more of a focus of mine when I was younger. It was something that I wanted to go into, but I think I feared um, getting accepted into a program and, and the, it, it was always a very competitive thing. Um, I did come from a family of nurses too. Uh, a couple of my aunts are nurses as well as uh, in the medical field. I have a, a couple of judges as, as well. Uh, so I decided at that time I needed to actually follow my heart and pursue what I wanted to do. So I decided to start going to school at night. I did all my prereqs and then got accepted to the nursing program in 2013. Right. So in terms of just the decision to change careers, um, and that that's a really weighty decision. Um, you were you working at WMTR WDHA, which is actually the radio station I'm appearing on right now. Um, right. What was that like? Though? Was that a tough decision for you? It was, I think, because I had already obtained my bachelor's degree, and it was, I was, um, I was about to get married at that time too. So I was settling in in my life and thinking about having a family and stuff. So going back to school was was not an easy choice at that time. But I knew in my heart of hearts, I had to do something that I. I loved and, and followed my dreams. Well, God bless you. Always, know. Right. That's beautiful to do that. Um, just to go after something you really felt deep down you wanted to do. A lot of people in life are afraid to make those kinds of decisions, Amy. So uh, I think that's great. So um, from, from that transition, I mean, to go into nursing after your background at the radio station, um, was it what you expected it to be? 
the transition itself. Yeah. Uh, I think it was it was very trying for me. I, I number one focusing from just working uh, in the like career field, to getting back to school uh, was hard, and I was also juggling both at the same time. So um, I had no sort of balance of life at that point because it was either school or work, school or work. Um, but I'm glad that I decided to actually make that decision when I did. Well, yeah, God bless you. And, and once again, I mean, we're going to really explore that together. Um, in terms of uh, what, what uh, facility, so you, you had to go through nursing school. Where was that? Um, I had done all my prereqs at the Southern County Community College. Um, I had to take a bunch of sciences to get even into the nursing program. And then once I applied, I applied to the County College of Morris. And I did a, a two-year associate's program there. Okay, and then you, you obviously then have to find a job. So where did you first start working? I actually, um, when I had done my clinicals, um, I had done a, a couple local hospitals up in North Jersey. I found that I loved the emergency department. That was where I felt like I was meant to be. So when I first graduated from school, I decided to apply to St. Clair's uh, Emergency Department, which I thought was a long shot getting in there right after um, nursing school. But I actually got accepted and uh, took on a position there working nights. So in terms of your family, now I understand you just had a baby girl. You know, congratulations. Again, you have two other daughters, so three daughters. Yes. Wow, you have a very, how old are your kids? One, two, and one month. Wow. Well, listen, yeah. I doubt you're sleeping. <laughs> yeah. I'm impressed that you made it here. You know, my incredible producer, Ellen, was uh, able to get me in contact with you. And, and when I heard you just blessed with the baby and, and you got such a young family, you know, it means so much you're willing to come on this morning and join us and obviously give us a chance to say thank you. Um, in terms of working at the local hospitals, I, sir, I, I want to get into that a little bit now. Sure. Um, so... You know, being in the emergency room, we always have, you know, these, these, um, you conjure up some thoughts about it. I mean, everybody, you know, at some point in their life goes to the emergency room and they deal with the nurses. And candidly, the nurses are really the ones doing all the heavy lifting. Um, so w- what's that like? You, you're starting in the emergency room. Um, were you nervous? I mean, how does that work? I was extremely nervous. Um, the one thing that I could say, though, about the emergency room, especially the two emergency departments that I have worked in, we work very closely as a, as a family. Um, so everyone has their backs. You're never going to a situation alone. Um, and not only um, the nurses who ha- help each other out, we also have an awesome support with all of our um, patient care technicians and ED techs as well. Um, so very stressful. You see things that you wouldn't normally see. Um, but together you always uh, work through it. You know, you, you, you lean on each other to try to try to get through all, every single, single situation and make sure it's the best for the patient. No question, especially when families come in there and they're they're nervous, they don't know where their loved one is, and obviously what you're doing is providing incredible care for them and compassion. So, in, how long have you been a nurse, uh, Amy? I've been a nurse for five years now. Well, that's, uh, you know, obviously you got uh, probably the last uh, month or two. It's been a real eye-opener. So in terms yeah. of the, the facilities, you, you work out of two uh, local facilities now? Yes, I work at uh, St. Clair's in Dover and Denver as well as Newton Medical Center. Great. So uh, when you first become a nurse, do you, do you have like a supervisor? I mean, for the audience, for us, tune in, you know, everyone listening, what's the hierarchy? How does that work? Um, we, we do have a supervisor that is above us. Um, when I first started working there, I actually started working as a, just a regular staff nurse. 
Um, you do have your charge nurse that's on the floor with you every single shift, and above your charge nurse would be your supervisor and then the nursing director of the ER. Right. So in terms of, of just that, that kind of how it all works out, I'm assuming you, do you have like a mentor, someone that, you know, you can rely upon as you're, you're kind of learning the ropes? Right. You you do when you first start off as a new nurse. Um, they do partner you up with one of the nurses that have been there for uh, like a couple years of some experience. So um, sometimes they try to keep you with the same nurse so you can learn the ropes of how they do it. Sometimes they'll put you with a couple different nurses because everyone does things a little bit differently. So coming in as a new nurse, it's good to see things from different angles. And then you kind of just learn how to do it the way that you, you're going to do it then by taking tasks and um, I guess taking a people's ideas and kind of creating an issue and way of doing that, you know? So you, you mentioned you got into emergency room nursing, and, and for those, I mean, there's so many wonderful areas in nursing. Um, I know the emergency room, we have, uh, my wife and I know some, some folks that do that as well, and you, it takes a special person because it's pretty much nonstop. Um, okay. What other areas of nursing would be available, you know, because hopefully through this, this pandemic, which has tested everyone, the battle we're in, it also gives everyone an awareness of the incredible work of, of the nurses and the doctors and the entire healthcare community. But what other areas of nursing could folks explore? Um, oh, that, that's also another reason that I had uh, thought about going to nursing, too. Like, you don't always have to do clinical hands-on nursing. I actually went to school with a couple um, people that never actually worked in a hospital or in a doctor's office. They went straight into, like, the pharmaceutical aspect or the administration aspect. Uh, you can go into education and teach uh, new nurses. Uh, there's there's uh, other avenues that you can grow in and not actually do hands-on patient care. So, right. So that, that's the reason why I think it's a wonderful profession. Myself being a trial lawyer, there's so many other areas of law, too. I mean, when I tell people I'm an attorney, they're like, well, what kind of lawyer are you? So it, it kind of goes along the same idea as well. There's so many different opportunities for folks in various professions. So when you first started in 2015, did you... Did you feel as you started to get into it more that you made the big decision, it was a wise decision to get into nursing, or is that something that grew over time? I knew right when I started that's where I wanted to be. Um, I always wanted to help people, and especially then that I got into the emergency department. Um, I like the critical care aspect. I like stabilizing my patients and seeing them either go home or uh, admitted for further care. Um, very I feel like um, task-oriented, and the ER can be like that, very task-oriented and very fast-paced. And that was more so my niche. So as um, you, always, what's that? I'm sorry. It's always nice when somebody comes in and you see them leave um, and they're being discharged home in a total better condition, you know? They come on very unstable, and then you're able to help them out enough to get them back on their feet. Yeah, I'm sure nothing could probably be more rewarding. I know when, uh, obviously, as I mentioned earlier, when you have to go to the emergency room, your world's turned a little upside down, and you're obviously looking for some answers, and the nurses are there comforting you and, and trying to give you the best information possible. And it's really, you're really on the front lines. There's there's no doubt right. about no that. One, no one ever expects to go to the ER. <laughs> 
No, no, certainly you don't. But I know that, you know, once again, from my own personal experience, the nurses are right there on the front line and you're you're basically dealing directly with those folks. They want answers. They're nervous. And, and, and the comfort you nurses and everyone in that community provides is essential, really. So in terms of the, the years of growth that you've had, because I, I always believe in life, you get challenged and and things come up. And, and it's one of those things that just the way it is. You never know when things are going to start changing. So your husband and your family, as you started to get into your nursing career, did you have certain hours that you would you have a certain shift? I mean, everybody's a certain conceptual view of nursing in terms of the hours. Are you on the day shift, the night shift? What what shift are you on? I currently am on the day shift. I work uh, 7 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. Um, days, and it's usually three days a week. Um, but I also work per diem at the other hospitals. I usually do about four 12-hour shifts a week. Oh, so that, that's a that's a very long tour of duty, if I may, that you're putting in. So that that can certainly be exhausting. And in terms of just you know the background that you had and 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 the and the the you know the environment. Each hospital has a culture. So I want to spend some time with you in terms of. COVID-19, because um, that's really on everybody's mind. I realize that right, right now um, we're starting to feel a little bit of light at the tunnel, but we know there's still a lot of work to be done. And it's one of those things where, you know, it's just the incredible work that the nurses and doctors are putting in uh, countless, countless hours. Um, when did you first hear about COVID-19? Do you remember? The first time that I think I heard about it, it was uh, early January when some reports started to come out about Wuhan, China, and the uh, virus, how quickly it was affecting people. Um, we didn't really start hearing much about it here until, I guess it was early March, late February. Yeah, um, right. I mean, isn't that kind of strange when we look back now? Because I, obviously everybody was tuning in a little bit and understanding there's something going on in China. There's this COVID-19. It's a virus. It's a, it's a killer flu. And probably like all of us, we're like, uh, well, that's in China. What's the, what's the problem? Right. What's the deal? You don't expect it to, to hit here at all at that point, you know? Right, exactly. I, I know. I, I could say before it even hit America, I was that, that nurse, that one that thought, oh, this is just like the flu, not a big deal. You know, we're all going to be fine. It's not even here yet, you know? Right. And that's uh, one of the, the right. When you start to see the stories come out, you're, it was a real eye opener, you know? Well, it was an eye opener because I, I recall, you know, like most of us, it was something that, you know, you heard about, but you, you honestly just kept on living your life. And, you know, we have the greatest, you know, healthcare system in the world. We're going to be fine. If anybody does get sick, it's just going to be the older folks that, God willing, they'll be fine. It, like we just talked about, it's like a flu. It's, it's not going to hit us so hard. Did, did the hospitals, though, nonetheless start to gear up a little bit, or was it not really until March where the full gravity really struck us? I think, I mean, they they understood it was coming, and we tried to prepare for it the, the best that we could prepare for it. But something like this, you, you can't be 100% prepared for. You, you don't see this every day. You know, like when it comes to um, PPE across hospitals uh, countrywide, like you can never be prepared to have that kind of supply in-house because um, something like this doesn't happen, you know. Um, so they try to the best of their ability to be prepared. The first couple weeks, um, things were changing by the hour um, from, oh, one day you're wearing a surgical mask, the next day you're wearing N95, the next day you're fully gowned. Um, and this was happening as everyone was learning together 
how to protect ourselves and, and take care of our patients properly for this virus. Um, the virus is new, so a lot of people didn't know what to what to prepare or how to how to act about it. Right, and you brought you brought up this this term, this acronym PPE, and I'll tell you, hand to God, I never heard of that acronym before. And obviously, it's near and dear to all of us now because we realize how important it is to protect the healthcare workers and really all of us. So, I mean, everybody now is wearing masks in public, which which we have to do. And and God willing, over time, we'll we'll be able not to have to go through that. But that's part of living in 2020. You know, in May even. Right. Um, but in terms of the hospital, so you first start started out, um, the virus was really here. Um, were, were there steps being taken in the ERs, uh, you know, both facilities, Newton and St. Clair's in Dover, where all of a sudden everybody on the team, the incredible healthcare workers, like, wait a minute, we, this is something new, this is novel. Um, what, what happened? Was there just like a change and it just got more and more serious? Um, pretty much, yeah. I mean, we all had to change our focus from at what we were seeing come into the hospital, obviously, everyone had these, these symptoms of the, the COVID, so this is, this is primarily what we were seeing. So us, our staff also had to protest because um, we wanted to make sure that our staff and everyone that was coming in weren't coming down the symptoms of this virus either. So the hospital-wide, um, both um, both the hospitals that I work with, actually, they would check our temperatures, they would ask us questions when we first got there. Um, in the morning and then when we were leaving as well. Um, if you presented with some sort of fever or a cough or any shortness of breath, um, they would send you to uh, employee health them to be checked out. So you weren't then working sick with the, obviously the patients coming in or um, any of your, your coworkers. Um, Hospital-wide, too, we started off then just wearing regular surgical masks to start. Um, when we saw any of our patients that were potential COVID patients, um, everyone that came in is a is a presumed until presumed uh, COVID patient if they have the symptoms until we test them positive or negative. So we had to make sure that we had enough uh, equipment to to protect ourselves with all the patients that were coming in. Right. So Amy, so this is, I was kind of fascinated by this. Um, is it seems to me that the learning curve had to be really quick, right? Because yes. COVID-19 was something that was really, we never heard of it before. And then you're there on the front lines, you and your incredible, you know, heroes doing your best. But the information, you're kind of learning as you go. We were learning and, as we went. Right, yep. right. Which was obviously, there's really no playbook for it. You, you have to kind of just go with it and, and do your very best. How hard was it education-wise to, to really learn about the symptoms, which are even still evolving? I um, mean, what to look out for? How, how was that? It, it, it was. It's very difficult because, like, you, like you just said, we still don't know exactly um, what we're looking for. We've seen COVID patients present with um, things as mild as a, a headache, no fever, no cough, nothing else. Maybe some GI symptoms. And then we see some people come in and present extreme shortness of breath, cough, and high fevers. So it's kind of hard to differentiate or differentiate. Okay, is this a patient that's coming in with just some GI symptoms and abdominal pain, or is this patient now a COVID virus patient? So you kind of just had to take everybody's symptoms and, I, I guess, treat by their symptoms and, and consider in your mind, like, every single one could be a COVID case. Right, so that um, had to be incredibly like said, challenging. It's still evolving, just like um, they say now a loss of uh, taste can be part of, like, a COVID symptom as well. So that's stuff that you would never even think of, you know? 
Yeah, well, that was something, Amy, that really, once again, is fascinating because as we're learning more and more and the, and the information and the protocols seem like they're evolving day to day, um, I recall that there were, it's basically, I thought it was just strictly a respiratory issue where folks were having problems breathing. They lost the, the smell, the taste, and, and there's a constellation of symptoms now that are really across the board. Some of them are more nonspecific and generalized. So how does that work? So your screening techniques, um, when people are presenting, um, I'm assuming like you just touched on, everybody could be potential COVID-19. So for the listeners, what, what's the protocol? What, what is the things that you're, you're then doing? Um, really, with like COVID, you're really just treating symptoms. Um, if you start to present with some shortness of breath and difficulty breathing, um, you're going to want to obviously be seen um, by a, a medical professional. Um, but besides that, you're just treating your fevers, you're treating your GI symptoms. There's nothing else that you could really do. There's no magic medication that's going to like make it go away, you know. Um, so as like a I guess as a, a, a person presents with any symptoms, you're just going to treat your your fevers. And if you feel like you um, are feeling short of breath or you're having some difficulties, you need to then obviously be seen and tested. Um, some people are presenting or don't, don't even have any symptoms at all, and they're just carriers of the virus and are asymptomatic. And that's the scary part of it, too, is that you might not even know that you have it, and you're walking around talking to other people, and now the virus is spreading so easily. Right. That's something. Another thing that's just puzzling to me is you have a deadly virus. You could be walking around for a few weeks, didn't even know you have it or you're carrying it and you're passing it on. It's just one of those things I'm sure over time we'll look back and have some of the answers to that. But right now, that's one of the real challenges for all of us. You know, you don't want to affect your family. And that's what I wanted to touch on with you, Amy, because you're, you're blessed with the young family and you got the, the beautiful little daughters and you're, you got a husband and you're, you're working right on the front lines. And um, what's that like, too? I mean, uh, emotionally, you know, you're working, you're doing your best, you're doing incredible things to help others. And then you're going home to your family. Um, what was that like at the beginning when you're, you're grappling with the COVID-19? It was, honestly, it's very, very scary. I was, I felt very thankful, but also very terrified to be taking care of these patients. Um, we didn't know exactly the spread of it, how long it could live on um certain surfaces and um, how how it was going to like affect us coming home to our families. So even me personally, I would change into one scrub when I left for work. I'd get to work, change into different scrubs and shoes, leave, change again, and then change before I even entered my house. Because um, the biggest fear for me was bringing it home to one of my daughters. And at that time, when, I, when COVID first hit America, I was 38 weeks pregnant, too. Wow. So I was nearing the um, end of my pregnancy, and I feared contracting it myself, not only bringing it home to my family, but then also having a newborn, too. Um, it's very, very scary because you want to be there. You want to help these patients out. You want to put up the fight with your, your coworkers, but then you, you worry if you're going to affect your family, especially like if you live with older parents or if your parents take care of your children. The elder population is a little bit scarier. Well, let me just let me just focus for one second, Amy. So you're 38 weeks pregnant, you know, and and at the time, and that just speaks volumes about who you are too, because a lot of folks in that position would be on freak out. It's like, well, wait a minute, I'm having a baby soon. I can't get in the middle of this COVID-19. I mean, this is insanity. What made you decide, despite you know, obviously the the blessing uh, to have a baby on the way, 
to just to continue to 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 be in the field um what made you decide just to you know stick with it I feel like it's a um, part of being an ER nurse. It's you, you, when something like this hits. Um, it, it, being a nurse in general, you want to be there. You want to help people. It's, it's the inner self in you, uh, the need to do that. Also, I had my ER family, the, the nurses that always have my back. I wanted to stay and support them as well. Um, but of course, in my mind, there was like a a little thing sitting on my shoulder telling me, you know, Amy, you really gotta be smart here too and and protect your onboard child and your family too you know yeah that's um, so also, it, was, right. it was definitely a a time like where i felt very torn you know i still now even being on maternity leave right now it's a bittersweet not being there fighting with my with my team you know but my family obviously is number one too no question about it, but once again i mean that your dedication and commitment really is incredible to know that you're pregnant and so close to, to being you know blessed with the baby on the way and you still were working in this environment i mean you know i i come home uh, my whole team works remotely i'm in the office i still come home i'm worried oh my god am i gonna have a cough or something who knows i'm not coming in contact with anyone and you're there literally on the front lines and you're having a baby and you're going home to a young family and a husband and that, that's just an incredibly you know challenging time for you as well were you talking to your colleagues too um about what you're just talking to us about is the fear factor uh, of transmitting it to your loved ones oh yeah we obviously all of us feel the same exact way they, everyone else that i work with too they have they have parents they have children um that they're fearful about bringing it home to as well um, i know some nurses that i work with um having and seen their kids for four to six weeks now because they don't want to spread it to their children um so emotionally you're you're torn by this because you can't see your family you can't see your loved ones um physically you're drained because every single shift you're you're working so hard um it's it's a it's a very trying time for all of us Right, right. I can only imagine. I mean, this is one of the things when I tune into the news at night, I'm listening to, you know, some of the, the incredible healthcare workers and they're talking about basically being quarantined in a hotel. They don't go back right. to their family. They're afraid to infect their family. Then I'm thinking, wait a minute, the family needs to be together right now and their loved one who's on the front lines can't go back home because they're worried about transmitting the disease. So it's, from my perspective, once again, just shows your commitment is you're, you're doing everything. And, and your entire team, and and that's why we all owe you such a huge debt of gratitude for all the, the frontline workers. You know, we've had the last four weeks some incredible people on M Melissa Spiata, we had Shannon Steet, uh, we had Chris Russo, we had Chris Mazzarella, and they're all like saying, "God bless, thank you to the frontline workers." And here you are, a frontline worker. So, I mean, that's just an incredible thing that your whole team has been doing. You know, um, Amy, these are the kind of things that I love. About about the show is it gives me a chance to bring people like you on that are really making a difference. That's incredible. What we're going to do, Amy, we're going to take a very, very short break. We'll be back in 30 seconds. The Todd Leonard Show is sponsored by the Leonard Foundation, whose mission is to support the children and families who are battling pediatric cancer and those in need of food and assistance, women's shelters, and other important social services in the community. They also proudly support those fighting pancreatic cancer. They feel it's vitally important to help those in need in our amazing community when they need us the most. Please join them in extending a helping hand and go to LeonardCharity.org and donate now. Together, we can touch many lives. 
Amy, once again, thank you so much for, for coming on this morning. I have the great privilege of having Amy Pierce, a local hero, frontline worker, doing incredible nursing over at St. Clair's in Dover and Newton Hospital. So, Amy, I wanted to talk to you. You talked about some of the, you know, the issues with the frontline workers, with the PPE. One of the things that also just really I never even thought about was ventilators. Um, at the facilities, I'm assuming you have what you, you, you need uh, ventilator-wise for those that are critically sick. Yeah, I haven't seen um, personally. Like I said, I haven't I haven't been there for the last couple of weeks of the surge. But what I have seen, um, they have been very well prepared um, and able to care for the patients that are um, coming into the hospital. Right. You know, one of the things that I was a really heartbreak for me is in our incredible country, there is a shortage of ventilators. I'm like thinking to myself, well, listen, I don't care what has to be done. You got to give the frontline workers everything they need, like all hands on deck. Doesn't matter. Republican, Democrat, independent. We got to come together as a country and give these heroes what they need and help. Right. Exactly. Um, right. You know, that, that's one of the things I'm so happy to hear that at least locally we've had the ability to have the right equipment because. That would be beyond a heartbreak if we were losing lives because we'd have the right equipment. So let's talk about, you know, the, the feeling in the emergency room when you're there. You, you guys are pulling together as a team. I believe teamwork is so important in something like this, a crisis. So when you're dealing with someone so sick, I, I'm, I, I'm, I assume, sadly, not everyone leaves the facilities because of just how sick they are. Um, and I know that must. Uh, what's that feeling when, sadly, you, your team does everything you can, but you, you lose, you lose patients. It's just the, the nature of this disease. Um, what's that like um, emotionally? Uh, I think emotionally it's very hard because a lot of these patients are doing the fight um, without their loved ones being able to be there. So here you are as a nurse, you're wearing your um, glasses, your shield, your gloves, your gown, and you're sitting there holding these patients' hands. They can't see the tears that are running down your eyes because you're fully covered and, and um, they, they can't see the emotions that you're giving them. And they're sitting there fearful knowing that they can't breathe and if they're not, if they're going to make it or not or see their family members or not. Um, so I think one of the hardest things about this virus is that these patients are, are dying. I mean, there are a good amount that aren't, but there are patients that are dying and they're dying without their family members. Um, so that is very difficult. We do our best to try to make sure that these um, family members can contact uh, the patients through FaceTime. Um, but it's not the same as your family member sitting next to you at the bedside when you're going through this hard time. Right, and that's one of the other things, too, is the real heartbreak about this is um, the loved ones can't be there to comfort their obviously sick family member, dear friend. And a lot of this that you just touched on is, from what I'm hearing, and you're telling me the front line, obviously, really what's what's going on, is the nurses have to, or the doctors have to do FaceTime. Um, and even though the loved one may not, you know, physically be able to move, uh, they're they're hearing their voice of their loved one, or at least their loved one can see um, each other. But um, that's got to be incredibly challenging uh, as well. Um, you know, sadly, um, this is just too common right now. Is, is uh, you know, New Jersey is like the epicenter um, of of what's going on here, and it, it's pretty uh, pretty uh, surreal to see what what goes on uh, with with all these loved ones uh, losing their battle. Now we got to talk about. The shining, though, part is when many do leave. Well, what's that like when you guys as a team have pulled together and are saving lives? 
It's an amazing feeling. Honestly, in both the hospitals that I work in, um, they, I know the, the St. Clair's, they play uh, Here Comes the Sun by the Beatles when somebody does recover and they are being discharged from the hospital. And I know Atlantic Medical also does a, um, a clap-out discharge where um, when people hear the music or hear the discharges coming on, they all go to one area and they'll clap and cheer for the patient as they're being wheeled out of the hospital. That's an emotional time for everybody in the hospital. Um, it's such a, a joy for us to, to hear that music come on over the loudspeaker to know that we made a difference. This person's going home. They're, they're doing better. They're recovered. Um, and that's happening more and more now. Right. No, it's, I, I understand not only is the curve flattened, but obviously there's a lot more encouraging signs, though we certainly can't let right. our guard down. Um, in terms of the Beatles song, Here Comes the Sun, so um, any ideas how they picked that song or that just it just came about? You know, I'm not too sure about that. I, I, last, I just heard that this is what they were going to do, and I thought it was a great, a great way to appreciate the people and, and, and also the staff to let us know that that things are getting better and people are going home. So when you, you're, you're, you know, in the middle of this battle and um, that song comes on, is it like an extra boost, a shot in the arm for morale? Or what, what's that really like with your colleagues when you hear it come on the uh, PA system? I think it brings a smile to everybody's face. It definitely helps to boost the morale in the ER. Right. And, I, you know, one of the, you know, everybody, not everybody, a lot of people say Facebook is bad or whatever. It's a lot of people fighting with each other. On the other hand, I, I tune in like a lot of the folks and fo folks that are, you know, watching us live on Facebook right now. There's a lot of wonderful things on Facebook. And I see a lot of images where you, you talked about where the staff lines up and they basically give a standing ovation as the patient gets wheeled out. And, and obviously not on the front lines, but watching that, that also feels exhilarating from my, from my standpoint. Um, what kind of feedback do you get when you get home and you, you, you talk to your husband and your friends? Do they mention they, they just saw that on Facebook or something like that? Um, I mean, I, some of my friends have mentioned that they see it, and they also feel, uh, I think, reassured when they see stuff like that to know that, okay, this virus is so terrible, but um, things are starting to get better. We are doing the right thing. Um, the biggest thing, I think, to remember right now is that just because the um, – the curve is kind of flattening. It doesn't mean that it's over. Um, you still need to follow the rules, and you still need to protect to protect yourself and others by staying quarantined and stuff like that. But seeing stuff like this on Facebook at least gives everybody a reassurance that things are getting better. Right. So you can read out the, the non-important information on all. <laughs> but there could be a lot of... Uh, bickering back and forth on Facebook too, yeah you know? there can be like way too much bickering at times <laughs> it gets a little bananas how polarized it is but something like this brings everyone together and I find that's the silver lining in these really challenging times you know right. I wanted to also talk about because I, I mentioned that um, I've had sort of the great honor having some incredible local people that give back and lift up the community and really show their love and support and that's why I was so happy to have you on today for me to say thank you and to all the nurses and doctors for everything you guys do, pretty much 24-7, a great sacrifice personally and for your own health. I mean, what's more important, your own health and your family's health, and you're putting it all out there for us. What's it like with the, when the local businesses, that's the other beautiful thing about this, is the local businesses really have stepped up, the local community, food's coming to you. What's that like for your morale when, when all of a sudden 
everybody's like finally saying thank you. We see the signs. I was driving into the studio this morning thanking the healthcare heroes, and I'm like, well, I'm going to talk to a hero. And that's what the listeners hopefully have this great privilege this morning of, of listening to, to our show. What's it like when you're, you're getting the food and, and, and that's kind of support? It's, it's amazing. Honestly, the community has been above and beyond amazing for us. Between, before, um, from like the heartfelt letters that we've gotten from some people, um, to the Girl Scout cookies, to daily food deliveries. Um, we've gotten beautiful flowers from some of the local landscapers. Um, a lot of smaller businesses have dropped off, um, different PPE for us from masks to gowns to gloves. Uh, the support, the support has just been overwhelming, um, to the point that a lot, it has brought like a lot of us to tears actually. Um, some of the letters and seeing, seeing how dedicated these people are to making sure that we're okay. And honestly, um, working in the ER, sometimes it can feel like a war zone, but knowing that the community has your back, you're not in it alone. Um, it makes it a little bit easier to go to work, work every day. Well, that's one thing that, I mean, obviously I have heartfelt thanks to you and, and everybody. I mean, everybody that's listening feels the same way. And um, we are one, we are together, and we certainly are pulling for everything you guys are doing to, to do your very best to, number one, help the patients, but also come home safely, obviously. Uh, in the Daily Record, a local paper, I've been, you know, running some ads just saying, God bless the healthcare workers, first responders. You know, we owe you such a huge debt of gratitude. When the restaurants, though, are giving the food, uh, it's kind of like an interesting thing because not only is it lifting your spirits, but it's also keeping the local businesses alive as well. So it's really a double win. And and probably right. most importantly, the community is all one right now saying thank you. Um, now, the food, I mean, it, it seems to me like thankfully, you, at least you're getting some food in the letters and support and the flowers. Um, obviously, that I'm sure, like you just touched on, means so much to you. Um, what is that really like, though? I want the listeners to understand. What is that like for you when you get these kind of um, tributes and thank yous? Um, what's it really like? Um, I mean, like I, like I had mentioned earlier, a lot of the, um, like when people have donated to us, it's, it has brought like a lot of us personally to tears, um, knowing that these people are here for us, they support us, um, and to know that everyone's really coming together as a group. Um, to fight the battle as one and not just us fighting individually. Right. Well, the community is with you. Listen, we definitely have your back. I mean, we're all in right. this together, and I think that's great that we've had a chance to least say thank you. I mean, it's the least we can do for everything you're doing for all the nurses, the healthcare workers. I mean, it's just an incredible commitment. In terms of, you know, how you guys are getting through with the entire healthcare community, um, and you get the support from the community. What's the overall sense of morale? Because I know you're on maternity leave. You're just blessed with another beautiful daughter. But what is it like when um, you have a chance to communicate with your colleagues? What's their sense? How, how is their morale doing now? I think um, morale in general is a lot better right now. Um, I think when I, I actually spoke with one of my colleagues just yesterday, and um, I think as a whole, um, COVID is a little bit more under control. They have a better idea of what their focus is, what they're looking for, how they're testing for it, um, how they're treating for it. So going in as a, as a nurse, um, knowing what, what to expect, um, it's a little bit easier than it was in the beginning when things were changing by the minute. Right. Um, so in general, morale is a lot better than, than it was. 
Well, I think that's great. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that morale is picking up. I think it's also probably um, consistent with how the, the, the curve is flattening and there seems to be some light at the end of the tunnel, which is obviously it's always great to hear. You're, you're kind of like getting past that hump of problems. And even though you're getting them, you're, you're, you're managing the, the, the care better. I wanted to talk a little bit also with you, Amy, about how this has really impacted your life and, um, you know, just how you're been holding up with with your family because i mean obviously covid19 we've learned so much over the last few months and how deadly it can be and how it can affect anyone um at any time uh, how has it directly impacted your life w- with your family uh unfortunately the day after i finished work i planned on working for one more week but my doctor had then advised me i really should go out um I stopped working on April 4th, and on April 5th, my daughter started getting um, pretty sick. She had a, a bit of a cough, a little bit of a fever. Um, this is my middle daughter, so she's 17 months old. Um, we started noticing that she was having some respiratory issues, and we took her to the hospital. She ended up um, on oxygen, steroids, treatment, and uh, she ended up being diagnosed with COVID. So oh, one wow. of our biggest fears... Yeah was uh, one of my biggest fears of bringing it home to my child or my family in general. I'm sure it was the day after I finished working. My daughter was in the, the PICU um, with COVID. Wow. That, um, is she doing better now? God bless. Thank goodness. Oh, yes. Yeah. She um, spent a good five, six days in the PICU and then she was discharged after one week. Wow. That's, I mean, you know, that's just another just layer of just, your commitment and character. I mean, you, you've been battling in the front lines and then your loved one, your 17 month old daughter is struck with COVID-19. It's very sick. That must have been a roller coaster for you. I mean, um, it just, was. Uh, and on top of that, the day that she was admitted, I, I couldn't stay with her because it would have let me stay being 38 weeks pregnant. Um, we didn't know obviously her COVID results at the time. So it was taking a couple of days to get back. And um, that same night I went into labor with my third daughter too. So, um, my husband wasn't able to be there for the birth of their daughter. He was with my daughter and his other, other daughter in the PICU. Um, so it's just been a little bit of a, a roller coaster. Uh, the family wasn't able to be under one roof for another two weeks after they were discharged just because of the newborn being in the house, too. Well, you know, you could write a book about the roller coaster you guys have been on because, I mean, like, yeah. you know, I said, wow, when I was going to have Jan, but when in preparation, I mean, some of the things that I became aware of, I mean, you have really been through it, Amy, I have to say that much. I mean, talk about a roller coaster. But the beautiful thing is your 17-month-old is, is doing much better now. You're blessed with another baby. And you guys are all together now as a family? Right. We all have... Um a week and a half ago, we all ended up in one roof. We're all doing well as of right now. Well, that's good. And um, I know that my middle daughter, Emerson, is beyond thrilled with her baby sister. So that that's a good thing, too. <laughs> well, listen, I think all the listeners, I know I'm thrilled that you're all together and everybody's doing quite well. I mean, this is, you know, the great news. I always love great news, even though we're in a lot of adversity here. Now, with your husband, I mean, what, what, is it, what has it been like for him? I mean, you know, you're married and you got uh, you have two babies, one on the way, and then you're almost ready to, to have the miracle of a new baby and, and your 17-month gets sick. This must have been a challenging time for your husband as well. Yeah, he, I think, is like the rock star of this situation. 
Um, he actually was able to stay with my 17-month-old in the hospital. They were together and then quarantined for two weeks with each other afterwards. On top of that, emotionally, I think he was struggling with the fact that he couldn't be with me um, and the delivery of our daughter. Um, ended up in an emergency C-section, too, so it was not as expected <laughs> for it to go. Um, so emotionally, it was, it was it's very difficult for him, but he's... He's definitely the rock star of the situation. Well, I think you're a rock star. And let me tell you something. You should be really proud, you and the entire family, of the, what you've been really, the commitment. I, I always say, you know, for the healthcare workers, the first responders, it's not just those folks. It's the families. It, it's everyone right. in the family that's making that commitment. You can never lose sight of that. It's the same thing with our incredible military. You know, when the when the brave men and women go overseas or wherever they're serving, National Guard, whatever, it's not just them. It's the family that's impacted. And I say this for everyone. God bless not just the, the health care workers and the first responders, their families. And you're a great example of that. So what's it like now? So your family's together. You know, you're celebrating the birth of your your new beautiful daughter you're together as one you're talking to your colleagues and there is some light at the end of the tunnel um what's the overall sentiment i mean how are you guys doing now uh now i think we're doing okay there's still a little obviously fear of um the virus and who knows if it can present again or if someone is asymptomatic and hasn't shown anything yet you know um but i think overall uh, we're we're doing very well. Uh, moving moving forward, there's some there's some light <laughs> light to be seen. So, what about your colleagues? I mean, you're giving us a firsthand um, you know look into your life, which we really appreciate your candor. I mean, you know that means the world to me and our listeners. You're able to open up and really share, and your administration letting you come on today. What about your colleagues? I mean, are they also kind of in that similar situation that you've been discussing this morning? Uh, I think, yeah, most of the colleagues still um, are, are fearful of bringing this virus home to their families. It's not over yet. Um, there are lots of stories of people recovering, lots of stories of people surviving, uh, but there are also people that are still very, very sick and dying. Um, so I think they're all still very fearful of what if I come down with this. It's not just affecting those people with the comorbidities or um, the very old or the very young. It's affecting people that have no com comorbidities that are, are healthy and that a lot of them are healthcare workers. Um, so it is, it is very scary that they can still come down with it or family members can come down with it. I think the biggest thing right now is make, making sure that people understand that um, it's not over. You need to educate yourself, follow the rules, um, and protect yourself and protect us as healthcare workers by staying home and, and enjoying your families right now. That, I mean, that's great advice. I mean, I realize the weather's been incredible this weekend. People are going to be out and about. Governor Murphy, I think, has been a, done, done an outstanding job. I mean, he's been a great okay. leader. He was sick. He came back after battling his own illness right into the middle of a pandemic. And I realize the parks are now open, and it's important to get out, get the fresh air, but you really got to follow the rules. So I certainly echo your okay. sentiments. And you're the expert. I'm just, you know, trying to be a concerned citizen and doing the best I can. But I think you just gave us, you know, some wonderful advice. One of the things that you also mentioned, Amy, is the eye-opener of how this COVID-19 hasn't just impacted the elderly medically, but also your 17-month-old daughter. And that's one of the other things that's been kind of perplexing as the information has come out more and more 
it becomes that much more frightening because it does affect everyone. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, you go online, you hear people in their 20s, the teenagers, uh, 30s, 40s, whatever. Everybody can be impacted by this, and that's what makes it that much more insidious. Um, if anybody wanted to reach out and say thank you or show their support, is there, is there a way they can reach out to the hospitals or to reach out to you, Amy? Yeah, absolutely. We do have some information um, that I was provided with for um, any way that um, any community members want to help out with either Newton Medical Center or uh, St. Clair Silver in Denver. I do have a couple of numbers for you. Would you like them? Please, yeah, please do. All right. Um, Newton Medical Center is Newton Medical Center Foundation. Their number is 973-579-8456. And then at St. Clair's, the phone number for them would be 973 973- And again, obviously, everyone is very appreciative and and really is thankful for the community's reach out and it helps us uh, every single day with the battle. Well, you know, it's the least we can do as a community is to stand up together and say thank you. And I'm glad at least you realize we are doing our best as a society to show that we have your back and we really do greatly appreciate it. I mean, I t- spoke about it a few minutes ago, but just driving around now, you see these signs, you know, that finally the healthcare workers are getting their just uh, were being really acknowledged as heroes because the job is thankless. And and the money's not incredibly great, but I know the satisfaction you're getting is certainly incredible. I wanted to talk about that, Amy, uh, you know, in terms of your career. I know you started out in the radio station industry and you decided to follow your dream back in 2015. So you've been in it five years now. Did you ever see um, this coming where you were able to get into a career and, and you're really making a, a world of difference for all of us? Um, what's that satisfaction like now that you know you you took a decision a care a, you know career path, and it's really changed your life. Um, well, that that was the whole reason that I even went into this profession is because I wanted to be there to help others. Um, I think now so more than ever, um, you could really see the difference in in our hard work and what we do do, and um, how how now you, as you can see the curve is changing. We are making a difference, um, and I think. Um, I don't know. It's just a, it's just a really good overall uh, feel good feeling, you know. Um, hard work does pay off. Well, it certainly pays off, but I always uh, intrigued by when people make these career path decisions, and you never know if it was right or wrong until yeah. you're really in it, you know. And and that's one of the beautiful things is what you've done is you you, you followed your dreams and your passion, but you, you but you're saving lives and and you're, you're enriching your life as well, and and everybody in your family and your friends. Well, what's it like with your family and friends in terms of just how you're getting feedback from them and in, in your commitment and what you've gone. Because it has been certainly a roller coaster for you professionally and personally. Right. Um, I, I could say right now, friends and family have been extremely supportive. Um, when we had this happen to my family, the amount of people that had reached out to me um, and my husband to try to help us out, whether it was uh, buy us groceries or um, pick something up at the store for us or uh, just a phone call saying, How are you guys? What, what's going on? Is there something I can do for you? And we're seeing firsthand how how supportive everybody is, which is is very very nice. Um, I know when I was working on the front line, uh, still right before I went out on maternity leave, um, family and friends were very nervous um, when I went to work, um, scared that I was going to fall ill or or bring something home. 
but also at the same time, the support was just amazing. And just getting phone calls every day, how are you, how are things going, um, making sure that, that we are mentally and physically still okay. <laughs> Right. I mean, that's the something also with the nurses and the doctors is it's not just the physical how you're feeling, but also mentally. Right. Because this has got to take an incredible toll on you as a group on what you've gone through. You've seen the best, the worst of times in terms right. of the I best. Think that we've seen during this pandemic is something we would never expect to say. Yeah. Um, so emotionally, it's definitely been a roller coaster for everybody. Right, but you you also have the opportunity um, where we're really talking about you're making differences in people's lives, and and the way I look at it is you guys really are angels and and, you, and you're putting it all out there. I also understand wearing a mask all day, Amy. I didn't even think about it. You know, I'm out in public. I put my mask on, but. Um, What's it, you know, you wear a mask all day. What's that do with your skid? I mean, you know, what's that like? It, it's very difficult. We actually have a, um, a lot of my coworkers have had skin breakdown on their noses um, from where the N95 is rubbing against their nose bridge. Um, a lot of, like, skin issues like, um, like, a, like, I don't want to say like acne or something like that from having a mask on and constantly, like, being hot and breathing in it. Um, so not only are you dealing with everything that you're dealing with that day, but now you're also dealing with your own physical issues because of wearing the PPE. Um, it's very hard to breathe in those too, and you're wearing those for 12 and a half hour shifts. Right. I mean, that's so, something, right, you don't even think about, but the people like yourselves doing this great work is that's the reality of it all as well. Putting yeah. aside the emotional toll, it's just literally you're, you're dealing with, you know, your own body itself and how you cope with it, you know. Right. Is there, I was curious, is there like a support group for the incredible frontline workers in terms of just, you know, because this takes the a toll. The hospitals have actually offered um, support groups and counseling, which has been fabulous for a lot of the nurses and, and doctors and patient care technicians, anyone that's working in the hospital with COVID patients. Um, so they have been on top of that, and they have been making sure that um, not only are we being cared for the way that we need to be cared for with, like, our, our, our protect, protective uh, equipment, but also to make sure mentally we're stable, that we can handle this and we can continue working. Right, because, I mean, the toll it must take emotionally is beyond words. I mean, you know, I, I open up the paper, I, I go online, I hear about, you know, countless thousands and thousands of, of great New Jerseyans uh, passing in our great country. Over 60,000 people have already perished to this dreaded virus. So I can only right. imagine just how difficult that is emotionally as well for you and, and for all your colleagues. Is there anything, Amy, you want to tell our listeners what what your needs are right now at the local hospitals at Newton or St. Clair's? I think the um, biggest thing is um, just to make sure that everyone's staying isolated, um, to make sure that this curve continues to make the downward trend. Um, as much as we're seeing some light right now, we want to make sure that that continues to happen. And just because we are seeing some light doesn't mean it's okay to um, forget about social distancing or wearing masks. Like, all these things are very important still. Um Stay isolated, and then obviously, if you need to seek any medical attention, make sure that you seek it when, as soon as you as soon as you need it. Well, I think that's great advice, and, and certainly we're, we're so thankful for your incredible commitment. Um, you know, Amy, I just want to say, you know, it means so much 
to, to really us, um, the entire community, what you're doing. I know I said it a lot on the show today because I'm just effusive of my praise for what you're doing personally and your entire team. I know that um, without the healthcare workers, the whole system would collapse. People get sick, they got to go to the hospital. If there's not people at the hospital to treat those folks that are sick, the whole system is done. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you got to have people around. You got to have help. And we need it desperately. What your entire industry has done is, it be in, my, in my mind, truly heroic. You're putting your lives on the line. You're doing it day in and day out. You're doing it under really your own health is at risk. Your family's health is at risk. Your beautiful daughter got sick as a result. And nonetheless, you're there. Your entire team keeps on coming back and coming back. I'm hearing stories of people, uh, healthcare providers, they got sick, they beat COVID-19, they're back at work. That, I find that just truly inspirational. So on behalf of everyone, I just say God bless you and everything you guys are doing because, you know, once again, we just can't say enough thank yous. When you drive around town and you see the signs, do you do your colleagues talk about that? I mean, is it something that gets you know discussed? And we do we do talk about it, and it it doesn't go on scene. I think it for every single one of us. There's been times that I've been driving to work and I find myself in tears um, with the the things that I've seen because it, it is a feel good to know that people are thinking about you. They do know what you're going through, um, and they do care. Like I said earlier, it's like it's like you're driving to like a war zone some days because so you don't know what you're going to walk into. But when you see that the community has your support, um, it makes it a little bit easier to get up and go to work. Is there anything else, Amy, you want to tell our listeners? That, you know, we're just so privileged to have you join us for this hour's show. Is there anything else you want to tell us before we conclude this incredible show? Um, just to make sure that everyone stays safe, uh, safe follows the rules, and... Um, stay isolated right now we're not we're we're um at the we're flattening out the curve but it's not over yet Right. I, I definitely agree with that. So, Amy, I want to say God bless you and your family. I'm so happy everybody's doing well. To all your colleagues, just God bless them and, and let them know how much it means to me and to our audience for what you guys are doing. Uh, just, you know, keep up the incredible work, the commitment. And, and that's really something we just we can't even say thank you enough. And, and just God bless you for the listeners. You know, these are the kind of shows that what I want to bring to you, which is people making differences in the world, making the world a better place. Sometimes we focus on the negative, but there's so many incredible things out there, so many things to be grateful for. Today, when you're out with your families enjoying this incredible weather, think about the healthcare workers, the first responders, their commitment. We all got to follow social distancing, but we also should rejoice in the fact we got incredible people like Amy Pierce out there making a difference in our lives for the better. So if you know people in the community lifting each other up, lifting the community up, making the world a better place, I'd love to hear from them. I would be so honored to have them join us on the show. You can call my office at 973-920-7900. You can contact the ToddLeonardShow.com or send me an email at tleonard at lawleonard.com and tell me your story. And I'd love to have you come on and lift up the community together. So God bless you. I can't wait to have you join us next week and take care of each other. Remember, we're in this together. God bless. Thank you.